Welcome to Impact the World, the show for and about creatives, changemakers, and entrepreneurs. This is a conversation episode where a special guest shares with me what they are creating and the behind the scenes journey of their experience. Welcome to Impact the World, and my guest for this show is none other than Mark Allen. Mark is the founder and head of New World Library, one of the most beloved spirituality publishers out there, and I'm proud to say also the publisher of my book. It was a real delight to speak to Mark, as you'll learn in the conversation, because many, many years ago, I saw him on an interview and he really struck me just something about the uniqueness of his being and the love I felt in Mark and his dedication to his work and also his slightly creative rebellious way of working really appealed to me. So to have this conversation with him was just a delight and he shared some really wonderful things about living, about creating, about building something that can hold many people and many voices. So I know it will resonate with many of you. For those of you who enjoy our show, if you want to support us, we are an independent show, so it would mean the world to us if you would leave us a rating or a review or subscribe over on Apple Podcasts. You can also subscribe to my YouTube channel so that you never miss a notification whenever there is a new episode out. Enjoy this episode. Mark, welcome to the show. It's so, so nice to have you here on Impact the World. Thanks for saying yes. Well, thanks for having me. It's great to see you again, Lee, always. Yeah, you too. And, you know, there's a story I wanted to begin our conversation with, which I don't know if I've ever told you this, because I think we met in person in 2014, uh, or maybe, yeah, it was about 2014, uh, the first time I met you. And you were a significant person for me as way back as 2008, 2009, so 12 years ago. And I remember you did an interview with Lilu Mace, who at the time was doing a, a lot of interviews on YouTube and they were very popular and I saw your name come up. So I remember just pressing play one day. And there were a couple of things that really struck me about who you were in the world. Number one, I remember you saying that you don't work on Mondays, that you had realized you needed Monday for yourself and that this was just your day and that was kind of a rule. And it was the first idea of, oh yeah, if you're creating your own schedule and you recognize you need some creative time or some you time, you can build that in. But I think at the time, if I cast my mind back to those years, I was about five years into my work with spirituality, with channeling. And I remember at the time I was about to self-publish a book and in my head, wouldn't it be great if Hay House or somebody would, you know, take, take this book. So I remember learning about New World Library and then realizing I knew so many of your books. And I just thought you had such a present and it's an overused word, but uh, humble or non-egoic energy that that really appealed to me but also that you were a musician and an author and you were running this publishing company. For sure, a little spark went off in my mind around what was possible. And it was like, oh, that's really cool. He's still a creative. 
He's running a company and enjoying running a company and working with people, which I knew I would. Uh, and he's also being a teacher and an author in the world. I just not really seen that in your way before. And so thank you all those years ago for unbeknownst to you being a little spark for me okay. of, of what was possible and what I now find myself living. Mm, wonderful. I always love hearing that. <laughs> of course. <laughs> so Mark, I can't, I think one of the biggest things about your external journey in the world, the journey that those of us that don't know you very well would, would look at and go, oh, wow, this is what he did. I think one of the most striking things about your story is New World Library and the formation of New World Library, which I love that it used to be called Whatever Publishing. Um, mm -hmm. But would you perhaps tell us the origin story of, of New World Library? And for those who don't, don't aren't familiar with New World Library, I'm very grateful to be one of your authors um, and one of your biggest books, which I think is very in people's consciousness these days, is The Power of Now with Eckhart Tolle, um, Creative Visualization with Shakti Gawain and, and many, many others. But um, I'm curious how it all started. <laughs> well, the real story is actually fairly funny because uh, I... I wandered through my 20s. I met this woman named Shakti Gawain when I was 28 and she was 26. We were, uh, we called ourselves workshop junkies. And we were, uh, and we, we ended up in this big house with like 15 people. And one of the guys there who I won't name uh, uh, got this mailing list and did this big mailing and planned to do a four, it was four or five day seminar. I don't remember which, but it, it culminated in New Year's Eve and it was gonna be a big New Year's Eve party. And he hired me just to pass around, support him, pass around papers and stuff. And he hired Shakti to cook for it. And, uh, and before, and 25 people ended up signing up from all over the country. People flew in, we were in Northern California. People flew in from all over, from Florida, showed up, got ready to do this four or five day thing. And the guy got weirder and weirder before the seminar. He, he burned the checks that came in saying we shouldn't be attached to the material plane. And uh, he just, he got very strange. And uh, uh, 10 minutes before we were in the kitchen, the three of us, and he said, oh, I can't handle this. And he headed out the back door. And, wow. <laughs> and, uh, and I was shocked he burst into tears. And uh, I ended up saying, well, let's lead it. And I mean, what's the worst that could happen? Their, their checks are already burned. I mean, so we ended up leading this four or five day thing. We just threw in everything we'd ever learned in all our workshops and gurus and meditation, this and that, everything, Western magic and everything. And, uh, and people liked it. And I kept after each session, because it went on for so long, I would run up to my room and type up, this was back in typewriter days, just notes from what we had just been through. So they'd remember, they'd have, I wanted them to have something concrete in their hands as they left. So when they left, I, and I, then I'd run out of Kinko's and, and copy it and give them copies. And so when they left, they had like 60 pages of notes after this thing. And I literally looked up book and published in a dictionary to say, is this a book that I've published? And turns out a book is anything with a spine and it was stapled. So 
<laughs> it's just enough. And publishing just makes public. I mean, makes public. If, if you print two copies and give one to your mother, you've technically published a book. <laughs> so that was the beginning of whatever, I would just call it whatever publishing and uh, took it to a store and they said, well, they took some copies on consignment, but they said, you know, you really need a spine on it to sell in a store. Right. And, and, uh, and they, they even, they told me about book people, this distributor and I, went to them and they said, yeah, you need a spine and a better cover and like you need to typeset it and, but then we'll sell it. And so I did that and that was our, that's how our first book came to be. I didn't ever sit down to write a book or have any problems with, you know, I was just throwing together my notes. And then Shakti took the same material from the same course and called it Creative Visualization, a much better title. Mine was called Reunion. Tools for Transformation. The workshop had been called Reunion. Mm. So I did Reunion. And over the years, it sold maybe like 12,000 copies. Mm. It, and then faded out and went out of print. But then Shakti called it Creative Visualization and just wrote it so beautifully that it just started selling like crazy by word of mouth. And that that book launched our company, really. It's amazing because uh, the statistics on that book now it's in the it's in the multi millions, isn't it? Yes, it's it's something like I, I'm not even sure because the foreign we don't it, it it's probably close to ten million worldwide, something like maybe more. And it's about thirty languages too that it's translated. Yes, I think yeah. yes, I think thirty thirty five something like that. That's fantastic. We it it's a it's wonderful. It keeps going and going. We keep re-negotiating uh, foreign rights and stays in print. It's a great book. It has changed many people's lives. Yeah. And and what I love about, I think, you know, those, if you like those big hit books that you can have in a company, or if you're in any company, whatever your hit thing is, it really kind of paves the way for all of the other offerings that you do that may or may not reach quite as many numbers, but are really impactful. And so it's always... It's always lovely when you have those flagship things, I think. Yes, exactly. That's that's what really makes it work. Uh, my friend Phil Wood of 10-Speed Press, he was an early mentor of mine, and he said, you got to have a lead dog, a lead dog. He said, never sell your lead dog. And I guess he means like, uh, I don't know, sledding or something, you know. Right. But, uh, yep, that it really makes life uh, and publishing a lot easier if you have just even one that's selling really well. So I know that you you have a, a magical way of approaching your life, and you know one of I think is it your most popular book, The Magical Path, or it's certainly one of them. It's up there, yeah. It's yeah. getting there. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious, you just shared that story with us and it's a very magical story. It's like, oh, the guy that we booked stepped out. So we stepped in. It's kind of like accidental destiny and it sounds very magical. But I'm curious, you know, that's quite a big step that you and Shakti took to kind of move into publishing. And did you have any hesitations or fears or, you know, we talked about imposter syndrome. Did you have any of that as things started to take off or was it kind of easy for you to just make this thing happen? Well, the, the first thing, it, it was kind of easy. I mean, we just had to do it. We, we, I never even thought about it. We just did it. But throughout, I did, I always felt very young. 
I felt very young. I was 28 or 29 when we did that. And uh, then as we did more and more workshops together, I, I, I felt there was a deep down thing of, you know, maybe I'm too young for this. Maybe I need more experience. Uh, am I really walking my talk? Uh, I was always adamant about only teaching something I really knew. And, and uh, I'd already dealt with enough teachers that weren't walking their talk. I, I met plenty of them in Berkeley in the 70s. They were usually, and many of them were successfully published writers to this day. And I just knew it, like first we get something intellectually and for certain people that are intellectually smart and great talkers and uh, they think they've got something and they, they end up, many of them write successful books and teach and have followers and, and yet their lives are a mess. They're not walking their talk. And that was really important to me. So I kept, I definitely had this ongoing, uh, not really, I wouldn't say a struggle. What was it? An ongoing voice that said, you teach what you know in your heart and what you live every day. So you have to live it every day to teach it effectively. So I, I had that kind of thing. So I wouldn't exactly call it imposter syndrome, but I would say I, I felt young. I felt yeah. young. Even into my 40s, I still felt, I still feel very young for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's like, okay, I'm uh, 74 now. So I, uh, I, I still almost feel kind of young. It's yeah. like, I feel, I feel open and I feel like I'm, I learn stuff every day. And uh, it's, it's been an amazing journey, definitely. And that, that to me, what you just shared about, you know, 74 feeling young like all of my older friends in their 70s and and beyond for many years the ones i have noticed who have that youth that spark they're either very spiritually open or they might not be into spirituality but they just live in a super present way they're they're, they're alive and they're, they're just naturally present so i i think that that presence of being here for the mystery is from my perspective, what seems to create that for, for people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It's interesting. You talk about feeling young because I realized one of the things that I noticed in doing this work in the world after being a student of this work for so many years and still of course now, but is there's like a shift that you have to make in, your brain. And for me, it was, oh, you're allowed to do this too. Because I think when you've got used to sitting in one seat, to suddenly find yourself perhaps at the front of the people with the seats, it, it's a little jarring to your brain if your brain had decided, no, this is where I sit. It can't go this way. And I, I often think that that's a real good metaphor for life. Um, because I think life will do that to us. It will suddenly put us in a position we weren't expecting or suddenly we're older than our parents in, in, in a certain, in a certain way, not, not by age, but we have to look after them and, you know, life's constantly flipping you around. So. Right. No, I, I think that's just interesting. I love the origin of your story that you, this is how it began for you. And yet for someone like me who hears about 
New World Library and you in the late 2000s, I might have a very different perception of, of actually what your story was. I might have put you in a certain frame that if you sat and talked to me is actually a little, a little more relatable than I think. Mm -hmm. I do remember when I had done my first book reunion, it looked very funky. It was hand done. It was, uh, you know, it wasn't a slick book at all. It was very funky. <laughs> and I took it to LA to the Bodhi Tree bookstore at the mm, time. I love this book. huge bookstore. And I remember walking out of there just in total shock because I had no idea there were thousands of titles, spiritual titles out. To, to this day, in many interviews, so many people say, oh, you were really on the cutting edge. You were really on the forefront. Really, creative visualization is the first spiritual title. That, and I, I said, no, it's not true. There were thousands done, you know, for hundreds of years before that. It just, it was one of the, maybe it was the first big national bestseller or something. But I do remember walking out of Bodhi Tree Bookstore just in shock thinking, oh my God, what right do I have? To? There's so many thousands of books already out there. Some are so brilliant, like Autobiography of a Yogi, I remember reading. And so, and I, I remember walking around the block, just uh, in sort of a state of shock. And that's what came to mind. What right do I have to write a book when there's so many out there that are so brilliant? already. And then I, I thought about it for about 10 minutes, maybe walking around the block. And then what dawned on me is, well, no one will write the book I'll write. It's true. You know, no one will write the book you write. No one will write the book any of your listeners would write. Yeah. It'll be abs absolutely unique because each one of us is absolutely unique. So write the book you're going to write. And there, there'll be no book exactly like it. And that, that just sort of allowed me then to get into writing my next book and, and getting into speaking, realizing no, no one will say what I say, just like no one says what you say. Yeah. We're, we're all absolutely unique. And I also, I really feel we're all creative geniuses in some way. We were, we were born with some real creative gift to express. We're also all born totally clueless in certain areas, which makes life interesting. You know, we're here to learn lots of stuff, but we're also here to teach. I think every one of us is here to teach what they know. Absolutely, and you end up doing that for a friend, or for your child, or for a group of people that you're teaching a thing to. I mean, you know, the, I think yeah. with the teacher-student dance for all of us is this constant revolving door, isn't it? Right. That's yeah. true. Yeah. So I'm curious for you, Mark, when when was music happening in your life too? Because I know you were you were quite active in music around this time that the books and the uh, whatever publishing was was happening. Mm -hmm. uh, music's always been a part of my life. I had a musical family. My grandparents would sit around after dinner and, and pull out. Uh, my grandfather played a mandolin. And mm -hmm. uh, my aunt would pull out her guitar and they'd, they'd sing. I, I, and we'd all sing. I knew how to harmonize when I was a little, little kid before I even knew what the word meant, I think. And then uh, I started playing piano and, and uh, 
then I had a band in high school and uh, always had some kind of band going on through college. And uh, in my 20s for a while, I did have a full out rock band that did uh, real full out spiritual rock and roll that uh, it, was, it was a pretty amazing time. Uh, it fell apart. We, we had great music and non-existent management. Right, <laughs> right. I had no idea that, you know, any successful musician you've heard of has like a manager or right. is good at managing themselves. I, I was totally clueless about the financial end of everything, including the music business. But uh, yeah, in my 20s, I had a rock band. And then uh, in my 30s, I start, I did seven albums, 30s and 40s. And I'm still recording to this day. I just wrote a song I'm going to be recording soon. Nice. And is, is music a, 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 a like a daily thing for you? Do you find? I, I play nearly every day, I think. Mm. I have a beautiful big grand piano and I have some great synthesizers and guitars and often like today, I, I mean, I'll, I'll do email for a while and then I'll just take a break and just go play, play and sing. Mm. And, oh, I was listening to your music. Is that you singing? Is that, do you sing? Yeah. I'm, yeah. Oh, you're a beautiful singer. I'm oh, thank really, you. Really impressed with your singing. Oh, thank you. Thank you. It, yeah. Well, it was a journey. It was a journey to let myself sing because I, I had that thing of like, oh, is this good enough? You know, and then I eventually got over it and just did it for the experience. And that's always the way, isn't it? When you get out of your own way and, and let something happen, you the, the, good, the good stuff happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Me too. I just, again, I just started singing because I, I wrote some music and I was the only one <laughs> that could sing it, you know, that knew the pieces. So I became like lead singer for a rock band. And then, yeah, but I'm not surprised if you were harmonizing from a young age, because I think understanding harmonics, you already have your way into arranging and the way that, mm -hmm. that, that music compositionally works. Because I, I never read music, but I was, all, I was a harmonizer from a young age. So uh -huh. I think if you, can, if you can understand the harmonic layers, then the multidimensionality of music starts to become something you're in. And so that's just my theory anyway. Yeah, no, I know, and it's it's something I've 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 hardly said, but I remember when I play a piece on a piano, especially on my nine foot grand, because it resonates so much. I hear the harmonies. I hear other instruments in in the overtones. It's like they're there. So then, in like my last album called Awakening, I, I it's orchestral. It has like an entire orchestra behind it. And I just heard that orchestra as I was playing the piano in the overtones. It's as if the music's already there, fully formed. It's Beautiful. And where, Mark, where would we find that album? I want to hear the album. I haven't heard that one. So Awakening. Yeah, and Awakening's the last one. It's very orchestral. I, we do have a website. It's fairly lame called Watercourse Media. Watercourse Media. Watercourse Media. We will, we will put a link to that in the show notes for anyone who wants oh, to specifically check out the music. Right. Or you can just Google. You can go to uh, YouTube and do Mark Allen Music. Mark with a C. Allen Music. And uh, I think all seven of my albums are there. Great. Two, two of them have vocals and five are instrumental. So I have to ask you, given you just 
brought up that, you know, you didn't have management and you said I was lousy at the management side. Here you are at the head of New World Library. And of course, I know you have a great team and it takes a village, but still to be, you know, sat at, at the top of that company in, in the way that you are. What have you learned about, I guess, your strengths in management mm. or, or kind of what has that journey revealed to you if that wasn't something you were seemingly adept in from the beginning? Right. I, I still am totally clueless about so much of business that has to do with the financial side and even the marketing side, because I'm not really interested in it and the technical side. Uh, so really the key to my success is I delegate and I, I, I know this is almost a cliche, but I find people smarter and more capable than I am to take it and run with it. So, uh, I often say there's just three things you need to get any business or career really going. You need your product or service, and that then usually that's what we've got because we're the entrepreneurs, we're the founders, we've got the product or service. But then you also need marketing mm. and sales, you know, some way to monetize it to get it out there. And then you need financial controls. And that was the last piece for me to even understand. I until I found the right woman who came along and whipped me into shape. Uh, I lost money my first like four years, I think, of the company because I had no idea of financial controls, controlling expenses. And uh, then this wonderful woman came in and whipped me into shape, showed me how to make a profit. And uh, so I, to this day, I, I don't understand spreadsheets the way she does. I don't understand when they start talking marketing, even they lose me, mm. especially when it gets technical about what's going on in the web. I, uh, I, I just have far more capable people around me running the show mm. and I do profit sharing with every one of them. So it completely empowers them to act like owners mm. and uh, the business works beautifully. That's great. I'm, I'm curious how the business has been for you this year because we're recording this in 2020, even though we're recording this in November, 2020, and I'm, I'm thinking it will release early next year. But mm -hmm. uh, I think 2020 has been such a shift year for everybody personally, collectively, but also the way work has yeah. changed for people. So I'm curious, what, what have you noticed has changed around the energy or the practical side of New World Library this year? Right. Uh, at first, we had a real scare. The first two weeks of April, our sales just plunged as the virus hit. And we really wondered, oh, is this the new normal to get by on a whole lot less sales? But it turned out uh, it, it was a lot of it was Amazon. They stopped shipping books for two weeks and shipped just critical things for the virus. And ah, yes. And uh so thank God we then totally recovered the last two weeks of April and our sales ever since have been up over last year. So we're having a really good year. I think uh, a lot of people are, they're home. They're, they have time to read books. Yeah. Our kinds of books, when things get tough, people head for our books, you know, try to make their life better. You know, like your book is one of them. That's for sure. You know, it's doing well. And, and the power of now just keeps going and going and going. 
Yeah, tell tell us a little bit because I think it's you know the power of now is 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 one of the most famous personal development spiritual books of certainly the last fifty fifty hundred years, um, <laughs> and and what I do know about that book, I think I bought it within months of it coming out because I remember it was a new title at the the kind of new age bookstore I used to go to, mm. and I remember reading it and then putting it down and then every now and then hearing occasionally someone would say something and then all of a sudden it was like you know it's one of those the four agreements did the same thing i loved the four agreements i bought copies for everybody and now i constantly see it in the top 10 25 years later what yeah. was it that you that you think that 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 was there just a boom moment for that book or it did it started pretty slow and it was word of mouth it it broke all the rules of marketing in that when when we published it, I don't even think Eckhart had a computer. He had nothing happening online. He wrote the book longhand. Wow. And, you know, all he was doing were a, a few little, little events in Vancouver, uh, Canada. And uh, so he, he, he wasn't really promoting at all, but it just kept going word of mouth and we we kept behind it we we the a big breakthrough finally happened we had it at an la book fair and uh we had it prominently on a table there and uh oprah came by oprah the holy grail and uh somebody called me said mark you 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 won't remember meeting me but i'm at the la book fair and oprah's walking around with the power of now in her hand and i immediately called my Marketing people said, get more books in print. <laughs> and uh, uh, we did. And so she really helped launch it then yeah. in Stratosphere. She did the same thing with creative visualization. Again, wow. that first, that sold word of mouth and really built, built, built on its own. But then Oprah picked it up. Yeah. And had Shakti on for an hour. And uh, uh, that, that that really launched the, the company into a whole other level of success. I know that you were very, very close with Shakti and I know several of your team were, and I know it was a great loss when she passed. Um, how was, how was her life after, after, you know, creating a book like that, that you two are just creating because you're creating and all of a sudden it becomes this big thing. What, what did, how did that, yeah. How did she live? her life, not having met her. I was just curious. You know, in a way, she never changed a bit before and after. She was exactly the same person. She was always like totally working on herself and working on her friends. She had this amazing energy 24-7. Uh, she didn't have an off switch. She was just so passionate about it. And so she was always learning, always growing, always uh, she, she would bust her friends a lot of times. I remember her own mother. She would, she really helped her mother grow a huge amount because she would just bust her. She'd say, say, "Mom, what you're saying? Do you do you detect there's some real anger and resentment in there? Do you get the edge of your?" She she was like that with everybody. Right. You know, she just uh, that that was just her calling. I think she was probably that way when she was a little kid. Is she never, I met her when she was 26 and she did not change one bit. 
ever. She was just the same, this driving force. Shakti was the perfect name for her because she had this energy. And she wouldn't let her friends get away with anything. You know, she really wouldn't. She And, ah, we had a huge, like, wake for her. And hundreds of people said the same thing, that their lives changed when they met Shakti. Hmm. And and many of them even said, you know, she really confronted me with my stuff. She didn't let me get away with any kind of denial or anything. She was amazing. She was absolutely unique, that's for sure. I love that because we, uh, we never, we, you know, we, A, we never know the impact that we might be having on other people, but I, I also often stop and regularly take in the people in my life that are here right now. And just, I'm grateful for the fact they're here right now. I'm here right now. I don't take it for granted that we all will be. And I try now at this age, I didn't used to have this awareness. I try and just be grateful for the, the huge impact that their energy is is playing on every part of my life and my psyche and my growth. And yeah, mm. cause it's amazing when you lose people and when they're gone, all of a sudden uh, you, you, you notice the gap. So I think that taught me over the years to, to, to notice what's there, to not wait until the gap is there, but yeah. to notice what's there now. Yes. Yeah, Hearing that's... you say that I, I totally, uh, yeah. Makes me wish I'd got to meet her and I totally understand why everyone's saying that. Yeah, she was amazing. So I'm curious, you know, I love the title of The Magical Path, which is one of your big books. And also I know you have a course called On the Magical Path, mm-hmm. which is something that you offer as an ongoing course for people who visit your site and follow your teachings. Tell yeah. us a little bit about The Magical Path and being on The Magical Path. Like what are some of the the principles that... that that might be interesting for us to, to, to hear about. Ah, yes, yes. Yeah, we started, uh, when I wrote the book, I first I did a year on the magical path where every month we, uh, it, I, I just had the outline for the book and it had 12 chapters. I just tried to cover everything. At first I thought it would be quite a short book because I was only going to do the, the things I did in my life, uh, and at the age of 21, I found this book, The Art of True Healing by Israel Regardi, and he had this middle pillar meditation. And I started doing this middle pillar meditation, and then my it healed me. It healed me, this one simple meditation. So I even, I have that in, it's a very short book. I have the entire book excerpted in, in chapter four of The Magical Path. And then I just, I look back, I said, okay, every, everything I did, I didn't do any research for the book whatsoever. I just looked back to say, okay, when I was 21, I found that book. So I had that in there. Then later on, I found a book, As You Think, or originally it was called As a Man Thinketh by mm. James Allen. And I realized that gave me some incredible tools that really lightened my life. And then I did certain things the day I turned 30 that I have talked about in uh, some other books, like my book, The Millionaire Course, too, and uh, another one called The Greatest Secret of All. I talk about the, the simple things I did the day I turned 30, where I literally sat down and just wrote my ideal scene on a sheet of paper, imagining five years have passed, everything had gone as well as I could imagine, 
What would my life look like? That little exercise completely changed my life. So, uh, so that's in there too. And just everything I did. And it, it, the book kept growing and growing I, with all these different things. I kept waking up at 3 a.m. many times saying, oh yeah, I also did that years ago. I wonder if that had any effect. Oh, I also prayed to the goddess Yemanja, this wonderful Brazilian goddess that my uh, Brazilian wife turned me on to. And uh, so I had to put that in there. And I, I just threw in everything. And I said, this is like a buffet. It's like a huge buffet. Uh, it's weight. It, it grew and grew and grew and grew. And I realized I'd done a lot of things over 40 years. So it, it's I think it's, I say it's way too much to try to do the whole thing. Just go through and pick what works for you and try it. Just try it with an open mind. I often say there's nothing to believe in any of this. I never had to come to believe in anything. I never had to make a leap of faith or anything. I just tried these things with an open mind. I just, I wrote my ideal scene. I did this middle pillar meditation. The first time I did it, I remember getting up out of my chair. I felt 20 pounds lighter. I felt healed. I was in horrible health when I was 21. I took way too much crystal methadrine in college. Yes. So stupid with no, no awareness. Oh, this is having a bad effect in my health. Right. And it was, it really was. But then I found that book, The Art of True Healing. And I remember the first meditation I did just out of the book, you just run energy through your body. You imagine it healing, healing, healing. Every part of your body, you can focus on what, what's hurting. And it was my heart. I had really stressed my heart. My heart was beating. I couldn't walk up a flight of steps without stopping and pausing because my heart was racing. I'm, I'm sure I really damaged it. Hmm. And then I did that one meditation from the art of true healing. And I remember getting up. My heart felt healed. And I literally felt like 20 pounds lighter. I felt, and I feel to this day, those meditations have kept me in perfect health. I, I almost never, I've had maybe two colds in the last 40 years or something. I mean, I've just been in amazing health. And I, I know, I really think so. Who knows really, but that doing that meditation has been key. Yeah. I also, I love when you were sharing with us about, you know, creating the book and, you know, you're like, oh, and then I remembered this other thing. It's a big reminder about holding space for creation to happen mm. because I hear this a lot with people who write biographies. You know, if you, the interview of someone who's written their biography, they say, wow, I'd never really stopped and looked back. And suddenly when you piece it all together, but I think equally, I know as a creator, you have to say yes to create something for the energy to start to come in. And I was just sharing this with a friend the other day who's going, oh, I want to create something. But she's trying to think it all in advance. And mm. I was like, it doesn't work like that. You can't get it right before you produce it. You have to say, yes, I will produce this. And you walk in and you might just know the first thing you're going to do. But then mm. once you're in the magical energy of creation, more will come. And so I, I hear that with you getting these nuggets you know i have that with albums i work on all of a sudden a song from nine years ago won't leave my head and i'm like oh this is supposed to be on the album you know mm -hmm. yes 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 yeah i get a lot of ideas in a hot tub i, I take a lot of hot tubs and uh, 
my book, Visionary Business, uh, a whole lot of it was written, me standing naked, dripping wet, because I, I would sit in my hot tub and I'd suddenly hear, uh, that was through the voice of my mentor, Bernie, and I'd hear Bernie start talking to me, you know, you should write about this. And I'm in the hot tub, but I knew you got to grab it as soon as it comes. Same with the song. If you don't totally. have it, it's gone. It's totally. gone. So I literally would just run into my room and write as fast as I could, naked, dripping wet, <laughs> the ink getting all smeared. But uh, that I wrote big chunks of my book that way. That's fantastic. You yeah. could probably have sold the photo of you naked, dripping wet as the limited edition hardcover. <laughs> if, you, if, you, if you'd really thought about it from a marketing yeah. standpoint, I could have done well. <laughs> X-rated version. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's great. And it's true. You, you know, you get those lightning in a bottle moments uh, that, you know, with a song, it's like I, I have to grab the voice recorder on the phone because it, yeah. it will go. It's, yes. It, yes. I, think, I think creativity you know, and it's speaking to you who is a, a lifelong creative and that's been my path. I think it, it's, it's much more of a, an active muscle than I think people who want to create but haven't created realize. You know, it's, you don't actually know fully what you're doing. You just have to be <laughs> foolish and brave enough to walk in and then you figure it out. It's kind of like, you know, you say yes, and then you then you figure it out and you, you let it come through you whatever way it needs to. Yes. I once asked Eckhart why he thought the power of now was so popular. And he said an amazing thing for all of us creatives. He said, all he knows is that he waited until every sentence arose from presence. Mm. Every sentence, he just waited. And then he even said, he, he started writing it out here in Sausalito in Marin County, California, just north of San Francisco. He showed me the, the he had this little room with a beautiful view of the bay. And, and then he went back to England and he said he tried over and over and over to write in England and he couldn't write. He, he wasn't finding it. He wasn't finding it. Yeah. So then he came back to the West Coast, ended up in Vancouver, Canada, and he was able to finish his book. So he said for him, there's something about America that makes it easier for him to get into presence. Yeah, there, is a, there is a different frequency for sure. Um, that yeah, The frequencies of England and Sausalito are, are very yeah. different. Um, and it's funny because I was writing Energy Speaks with Deborah Evans just down the road in Marin. Uh -huh. um, yeah, so, so it's funny, there's a... But of course, you guys are you guys are in the Bay Area too, so that's why. Um, I I'm just curious, actually, as we as we talk about this, I have this memory of a, one of my favorite things I ever heard Eckhart say, and I haven't seen a lot of interviews with him, but this this one I had and it stuck out. He told a story about how he was running a workshop, uh, and he put on this one day event, and nobody came. So he, he thought, oh, well, then it, it must just be for me. So he stayed there all day by himself and meditated. And I thought, and it was great for me because, you know, I was, it was about 2007. I heard that story and I was like, oh, I, I think I would have probably tried to see if I could cancel the room. But I'm like, now I've heard him say that. If ever I have a no-show, I'll just try and do what he did. That's cool. Oh, oh that's good. Oh, he's so wonderful. When I first, he was like virtually homeless for a while. He slept in his car and he said it was totally fine for him. Yeah. Was, you know. yeah, 
Yeah, yeah. That awakening story, because he, he talked, I heard him speak about the homelessness in conjunction to having awakened. Yes. And I think that's so interesting that with awakening, we, we tend to gain so much in awakening that it's very common that people like lose everything or the life they're in kind of falls apart. I, I had that story. So many people I know mm. um, had that story and he for sure had quite the awakening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's one reason I love him so much. His success really does not matter to him in the least. It really doesn't. He was quite happy and peaceful, having nothing, yeah. nothing. And you, you just really sense every word he writes comes from his experience. And he, he does say, even if everything collapses and crumbles around you, you can be at peace. Yeah. And that's... I have an audio of him I listen to a lot and he does say he rarely talks about success or or prosperity he's not interested in it I am he really isn't but he mentioned one just one time he said you know if you are president more it can really help you in career it can really help you be more successful and he says not that it matters and then he goes on yeah it yeah. really does matter to him he just goes to the essence of being and your outer circumstances. He's not, he, you know, it, it isn't the outer circumstances themselves, he often says, but it's how you react to them that count. Mark, it's interesting, you know, that we're talking about this idea of success because I think, you know, I as a young person saw success as freedom, you know, especially when I, you know, first wanted to do albums and then that meant I had to get into the record industry and, you know, all the, all the things that my brain, my conditioning had taught me. And I think the truth about success is, and why so many people fall down when they get the outer success or get what they call success depression is that you can manifest the outer world that you think is actually going to bring you a different feeling. And then when it doesn't, or now your feelings have to catch up, now you have to heal because you kind of got that thing that you thought was going to do X, Y, or Z, and it didn't. Then I kind of feel like you have the opportunity to have aligned success, which might look like a very big outer life, but it, it, it might not. But, but whatever it is, you'll feel connected to your to your sense of purpose whatever outer form that takes you know that feeling of connection to others to why you're here to what you're doing um be great if they taught us that when we were kids yes it <laughs> sure would it sure would uh, i mean that it's really a radical idea for so many people to just to realize that all the things we think we need to be happy that we're just we get education in order to get college, in order to get that good job and get the career to, to really then be happy or fulfilled. And we realize the outer circumstances have nothing to do with it whatsoever. And I, it took me years to really learn that. I, when I did my ideal scene the day I turned 30, I did imagine in five years a big a publishing company and a big, beautiful house on a hill. And I remember thinking, if I had a big, beautiful house on a hill, then I'd just have it made. I'd have it made. Well, eventually, I got the big, beautiful house on the hill. And I remember walking around thinking, oops, the house has nothing to do with it. In fact, a big house 
it presents a whole lot of problems. In fact, and it, it's all it's an inside job. So thank God the power of now came along, and like the way Eckhart says, get the inside right, and the outside will fall in place. It's all an inside job, not dependent on our outer circumstances or level of success at all. Yeah, which is why you know one of the things that I. I learned through my guides, the Z's, uh, years and years ago that I, I will now bring in when I'm, you know, teaching a group or a, an online class is to really know why you're trying to manifest that thing emotionally, because you can save yourself having to do it. You know, if you, yes. you get, if you yes. get underneath why you want the fast car right. and you look at what it's going to do to your ego and to your sense of healing and your sense of worth, and you tick all those boxes, you might then go, oh, now I kind of don't need it. Or you might go, oh, now I've got all those wounds out the way. I'm just a speed junkie and I like fast cars and I don't, I don't have to go through any of the ego stuff about it. I can just purely have the experience. So mm-hmm. I think when manifesting or intending for things, um, to do it with real awareness as to what's, what's my why here? Because then you can save yourself a whole lot of time and effort. Yes. You really can save yourself maybe a a lifetime's worth of effort. You know, the whole thing of working 35 years at a job you don't like, so you retire is just, it's sad to me. It's totally unnecessary. What do you want to do when you retire? Find a way to make that work now. Yeah. You can do that. You can do it. I end up, I mean, in, in my 30s, I remember somebody saying, well, Mark, you're almost, you're semi-retired, <laughs> you know, because of my, what he understood my work week. And, and I said, no, I'll never retire. I just do what I love. I just found a way to only do what I love and make it work. And simplifies your life. And yes, I found I didn't need the big house. I found I downsized. Yeah. The house is huge. It was 10,000 square feet. Oh, wow. And I said, why did I get this? And I said, I guess I had to prove to myself that these things actually do work. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I created it magically from having no money, no family support, no job. I ended up with a 10,000 square foot house on a hill with a huge yard and tremendous views. And it, it was uh, an estate, you know? Yeah. And then I said, well, uh, why do I need this? Was this supposed to make me happy? Oh, well, being happy has nothing to do with the size of your house. Duh. Took me a while to get that one. Yeah, but isn't that the great thing about life too? It's like, you know, we're always, we're always learning lessons sometimes through, I can think of countless things that I thought I needed or wanted. Mm-hmm. And luckily they weren't, you know, horrific things that when I got them, they were a big problem when I realized I had to kind of undo them and, yeah, it, but it's also interesting how those outer circumstances change us and, and inform who we then become too. I kind of I kind of like that way around as well. It's noticing how the things that happen unto you or that you bring to yourself or the people you meet, how they then shape what you do next. Mm. Yes, yes, it's true. So speaking of what you do next, Mark, and it has been so lovely to talk to you today. So this has been great. Thank you for coming on. Um, what are you looking forward to? Let's let's play your own game. Mm-hmm. So we're going to play your own game from the age of 30, now at the age of 74. Mm-hmm. T- 
Tell us about your next five years. I played the game this morning. Oh, I, continued, I, I walked outside of my house and, and I said, okay, five years down the road. And uh, so I, I've been doing that uh, ever since I was 30, keeping, and I have reached a point where more of the same is just wonderful. Uh, I would love to ha have a greater impact in the world. I am working on, on two different books simultaneously that'll both be courses in that, who knows, may have more of an impact in the world than I've had. We shall see. But I, of course, am just, uh, I'm completely happy and satisfied with with my life. Every day I do what I love. I, f I follow my energy every moment. This was my dream at 30. I said, I want to wake up and throughout the whole day, just do what I like. And so that was my experiment. I remember my doubts and fears vehemently said, impossible, Mark, to start a company. You got to get up early. And even, even my ex-wife mirrored my doubts and fears. She, she used to say, Mark, if you'd get up just a little earlier, because I usually sleep till about 11. I, you know, I, I love musicians hours. Are you a night owl? Are you like I, awake? I'm a night owl, yes. I'll often stay up till two or so. Yeah. And so, uh, Yes, I, I always have been, even as a little kid. And I was a musician, you know, in my 20s. And I love those hours. You never did anything till one in the afternoon. Yeah. You know, those were perfect for my biorhythms. And, and that's, that's my ideal, to just keep following my energy. Like, literally, my physical energy. I just try to, I stop thinking, and I just tune into, what do I want to do? Do I want to play the piano? Do I want to maybe write a song? Is there a song? Do I want to what whatever? Oh, okay, take care of business. Get get into my you know two hundred emails I get every day and whatever I do it. I literally will just follow my energy, and I'll sit down. I'll do some emails. Then I'll get up and play the mm -hmm. piano or go for a walk or whatever. But that's that's my ideal, and I'm living it, and it it's been very good for me and for my health. I know it's great for my health. No stress. I do, uh, I sometimes two times in the afternoon, I'll lay down and nap or meditate or whatever. Occasionally even three times <laughs> through the day. I'll just, uh, I mean, I get up at 11. Sometimes there have been times when I get up at 11 and have my strong coffee and go back to bed. <laughs> Just occasionally, occasionally, my like my my get up and go has gotten up and gone. And sometimes, even after my strong coffee, I still don't have the energy. So okay, I go back to bed. You know, another like forty five minutes out, then then I have some energy, and then I might three hours later lay down again. And uh, uh, so I I sort of nap or, or meditate. Half the time I meditate, half the time I nap. But I always do it flat on my back in my favorite yoga posture, the corpse position. You know? mm. I just did it, you know, for about 15 minutes before this talk. I just laid down. Okay. Feel better now. Well, I hope that anybody watching and listening who just delighted in your description of flowing from thing to thing, I hope that you 
realize, dear viewer or listener, that you know this is possible, and Mark is the living, the living example. And I think it's interesting too, because as I listen to you, I get the little aha moments for myself. And it's funny, Devor and I, who I collaborate with um, on music and the sound production for our company, and in fact, Devor did the audio book for Energy Speaks with me. Um, wow. We've both just been working a lot recently, and I think my team, the core core team that I work with would say the same because we don't have a schedule. Everyone does their own hours. But in the last year or two, really noticing how to master that flow of, oh, I'm really tired this morning. I haven't got it. Okay, mm -hmm. great. Then give yourself to not having it. And miraculously, three or four hours later, you find yourself, oh, now I'm going to go back there rather than like the old ways of like, oh God, I've got to get this done and hold myself at the desk, which I, I definitely lived in my 20s and parts of my 30s for sure. So um, yeah, that flowing yeah. through the magical path of, 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 of your way, Mark, is, is, is the way. And I think the way of the future. Yes. And it, it's just, it's so obvious. It's so good for your health to relax when you need. I, I then, I relax a lot. But then, then I get a lot of energy here. I'm 74. I'm, I'm running up the stairs. I'm running sometimes, uh, you know, at the office, for instance, I'll, I'll come down the stairs really fast because I just, I feel all this energy because I've relaxed so much the day before or that morning or whatever, you know. And it's great. It's, uh, that's why I keep feeling very young for my age because I'll run around sometimes. I was just, I was caught out in the rain, I remember last winter with a very young friend in San Francisco. And we ran for like half a mile back to the parking lot from the Golden, under the Golden Gate Bridge. And I thought, and tearing up these stairs and, and uh, I just, I felt so good. And I said, oh, okay, I was 73 years old. I can keep up with a 25 year old running through the rain and laughing and uh, it's it's wonderful so i really think follow if you can follow your energy it is the key to like eternal youth yeah it's the key to really finding that energy to to really admit when it's when it's not there don't push it that's that's what gets bad for your health mm. you know don't don't push it don't stress don't have some coffee to stay awake you know i, I love my coffee but uh, I'll, I'll, some, I'll sometimes have my coffee and then, you know, go relax for yeah. an hour. Yeah, yeah. Beautiful. Mm -hmm. Mark, thank you so much for uh -huh. being with us. It has been lovely to get to, get to share in a bit more of your journey. And um, for anybody who wants to learn more about Mark, his work, his teachings, you can follow the show links that we're going to put in the show notes. And... Mark, the website for your specific work, not New World Library, is markallen.com? Yes, M-A-R-C-A-L-L-E-N.com, yes. And then newworldlibrary.com is where you can find a whole host of amazing authors and audiobooks, um, including my own Energy Speaks. I'm very proud to be with you guys and very grateful to you all for having me there. Well, I'm very proud to have published it, very glad to have published it as a Beautiful book. It's one of those books I knew the minute I saw it. I knew within two minutes of reading the beginning of your story. I said, okay, this this book, we must do this book. That's rare. 
that that it happens that fast. But you've written a wonderful, powerful book. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Well, thanks everyone for tuning in and Mark, it was a pleasure and we'll see you all next week for next week's show. Big love everyone. We have just finished Rebirth 2021, my annual flagship program. And this year was bigger than ever. We actually decided to offer all of the teaching live this year, but as ever, replays are available. So usually we close booking at the end of January, but this year, given the potency and the power of the event, and also because we're aware many of you are looking to up-level the way that you create your life, the things that you're creating, we've decided to leave registration open for a little longer. I dubbed Rebirth this year the Metaphysical Creators Summit because the themes were really all focused on how to bring into being what it is you might like next. And as well as modules that I teach, including channeling from my guides disease, I brought my whole team with me. So there are support materials in the form of videos or meditations from several of my team members, Marty, Wendy, Stephen Washington also brings his wonderful Qigong and it's Qigong that's designed for complete beginners. In fact, most of the practice was done from a chair so anyone can join in, but it was a wonderful grounding class that helps you activate your creative body, your creator's frequency. So as well as all of the supplemental worksheets, questions and writing prompts that I've offered for each class so that you can really take a deep dive we kick the whole thing off with a sound healing channeled recording and original song from myself and Devor Bozik, which is available as soon as you start, as is all the material. So please enjoy Rebirth 2021. You can find it at rebirth2021.com or at my website, Lee Harris Energy. Just follow the links below the video and we hope you enjoy. going back to our original life force, we're saying, hey, life force, you remember like what I came here with? You remember when I was like full, but I was much smaller in body? I wanna start bringing that back through. So life force goes, oh, okay, great. Well, good, I'm glad you brought that up. I'll need you to just clear this when you were six. Yeah, we just need to look at this because that's where things got really jammed up. And I was trying to send you quite a lot of life force then, but oh no. What we are saying is there is something in the high frequency of the subject, the gathering of this group, and why you have all come together for this rebirth experience at this time, this year. You have come to experience permission, trust, and higher learning around how to be more high frequency more of the time. You don't have to go off to a workshop and heal yourself so that you can become a creator. Become a creator and you will heal yourself.